G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Righto, g'day and welcome back to another podcast. Today we're going to do something a bit different. Season 2 of Clarkson's Farm is hopefully coming out soon. Um, It may have been cancelled, so it may not come out at all. I don't know. But we thought we'd go over, do a bit of a recap. So I'm here with a mate and fellow agronomist, also called Martin, believe it or not. There's not many of us. Marty Conroy. And um, yeah, we've just watched episode one of season one, Clarkson's Farm, and just going to have a yarn about it. Yeah, so, no, it was a very interesting time. This is the first time I've actually watched Clarkson's Farm, so it was a bit of an eye-opening experience. Yeah, it's a good show, but I've, I've seen it like 10 million times. Like, I've probably watched the season once a week for the last year just because I've got a kid that loves it. Yeah, looking at it from the outside, it's certainly different to our farming systems over here, but a lot of the principles are pretty similar. So, yeah, hopefully drawing out of it, you can certainly see similarities and some major differences. Yeah. So what do you reckon, like, I mean, the, the first one's all about tractors and machinery and cropping and getting that job done. And uh, weather obviously still a factor yes yeah weather is definitely a factor it's been like the last sort of two years farming in our region um probably the best way to describe it jeremy's like a backpacker that's just been thrown on a tractor and he has no idea what he's doing yeah that's 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 fair that's fair so i've seen a lot of that in a lot of operations around here so um except it's his problem when it goes wrong too yeah (laughs) yeah certainly his money and his problem which is quite an interesting story to have yeah yes um, probably the biggest thing was the size of the property was actually quite considerably large um, for a British property compared to what I thought it would be. The paddock sizes were pretty small, but the way that machinery was looked at and also the inputs, it was all smaller horsepower, bulk bags. There was no large bulk loads of anything considering they purchased in all their seed and everything on farm. Yeah, and their, their rates. like Because Clarkson's farm... Is about a similar size to mine. He's a thousand acres. Mine's eight forty. Uh, I don't know what the split is on his country between arable and grazing. Um, I'm about two thirds arable, one third grazing. And like people would say, my gear's small. Like mm. I've got an eight meter air seeder. If I go out to Moree, I get laughed out of a pub because it's not twenty four. Um, and I pull that with admittedly an under horsepower you know, 150 horsepower tractor. I should have at least 200 and something, I reckon, for that that air seeder. But it takes me forever to get anything done. I sell it about 30 hectares a day and I find that painful. What did you say he did in that? Like it was... 10 hours to do 10 acres. Yeah, so it, four hectares. Yeah, not, not covering a lot of country. I guess with the smaller paddocks, I think the largest paddock size that he had on his map was 22 hectares. So... Yeah. Yeah, which is... I guess it'd be a large paddock for over there, but in terms of the scheme of things over here, certainly small. And in terms of starting and stopping from sowing through to harvest all your operations, you're probably going to get them done within a day if you yeah. really had a go. So in terms of logistics, probably not a nightmare for them, but it would be for us. Yeah. And I mean, going back to the seed you mentioned earlier, sowing rate. Yeah, was so, 210 kilos a hectare. Yeah, 220, 210 kilos a hectare. And um, I assume that was wheat or barley. They didn't say, but it would be, that's that's what they were sowing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas 70, is that what? 
Yeah, I've got blokes that go down to 55 kilos. They deal with barley up to 70, depending on where they're sitting. I've got a couple of blokes up around 90, um, certainly depending on their plant population and what their end target is. They're mainly planting on yield um, and also looking at soil nutrition and fertilizer rates to adjust that accordingly. There's probably a lot of work to be done in that space with winter crops and winter plant populations, but certainly if we start looking at the other end of the spectrum with our summer crops, plant population is so critical to having a good crop establishment. Um, water use efficiency is everything, and having that amount of plants there, you're going to want it to rain all year long. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was thinking about, I've got some little short runs, and I was thinking of doing one of those strips at that 210 kilos just to see what's going to happen. But if it does go back to wheat, it will be double crop behind sorghum. So unless we have another really wet winter, I can't see that ending well. Yeah, three, right. three wet winters in a row is not going to happen. No. <laughs> it's just well, it has. It has. But it, it, it has, so we're actually coming up to a fourth. Yeah, yeah, well. Um, not that the first one was particularly wet, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so that's... Yeah, pushing onto that moisture thing, um, tillaging everything pre-plant to provide a pretty good seed bed for everything. Obviously, they're not looking at moisture retention or zero till in any of their farming systems. No. No, I think it was actually mentioned that they had a reduced yield by not tillaging. Yeah, so, he, did, he did say that. He said direct drilling uh, was the, the farming that Greta Thunberg likes uh, and every Australian broadacre farmer, or most of them. Delunga is a bit different at times. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, it uh, it reduced their yield, which yeah I find interesting. But I guess it probably does drain a bit better when it is raining all the time. And then when they did so, they had sweeps on their tines. Yeah, so the seed row itself was quite wide. It was actually putting out two seed roads per tine, and yeah, a lot of friable soil moved in between. And they'd come in behind with a roller. Um, yeah, they, they didn't say that directly, but it did look like they came in with a sheep foot roller and, and rolled the paddock. Yeah, um, which there was definitely no rocks, so there was no reason they were trying to push it down for rocks for barley or something like that. It no. Was definitely for seed soil contact. Yeah, which um, I don't know. I would have thought you'd just drag one behind the planter would be easier and save the past, but... Yeah. Um, but I guess well sown equals half grown. So They are correct. They, yeah, they are. Definitely. Establishment yeah. is key with any, any cropping system. So and timing. And timing, yep. It's yeah. Earlier in the window you go, higher yield, slightly higher frost risk, but often higher yields are always at the front of every window. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, mind you, did I tell you about my frost for this year? Yeah, I did see some of your data. Yeah, yeah. Um, August, I think August was my last frost. Yeah, which is surprising. Very early, yeah. yeah. It's normally late September. Yeah. Um, when was your first frost of the year? Before I sowed. Yeah. Sometime yeah. in early June or late May. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't look at the first one for the year. I only looked at the last one. But I know that when I worked out my total frost hours for the year, it was longer than my frost hours for the, the growing season. And so I don't actually go through and individually count them. I just feed all that data into an Excel spreadsheet with a formula and it just punches it out. Yeah. So unless I go through and manually look for the first one, it just, yeah, doesn't appear. Yeah. And looking at that frost risk and managing that frost risk, risk earlier in the window, are you now looking at managing your lower sections of your farm, which obviously recorded higher amounts of frost, 
compared to your higher sections? Uh, or just too hard to manage with your paddock logistics? Yeah, on, on my scale, it's a bit bit too hard to do that. So yeah. it's it's just all managed for worst case, which is why we did. But, you know, those those frost numbers were fairly similar to where I was working out at Armatory before here. So um, if anything, my first year of farming there, we should have been selling earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, new area, you, you sort of hedge your bets. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Have you looked at any data for your heat stress over summer? Uh, no. 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 And like I should. <laughs> um, but those uh, those data loggers, I'm just trying to think, when they kicked into gear, they don't quite do a full year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they run out of storage at about 11 months or something. Yeah. And so I kicked that one in in either late January or early Feb last year and it ran out of memory in December sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, would be good to look at, but yeah, I, I haven't done it. Yeah, because I think that's a bigger risk too. Running at the end of that um, sowing window, we've probably got a lot of losses to yield just due to heat stress. especially. Oh, you mean in winter cropping? Even winter cropping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, honestly, uh, from some of the work I've seen, you lose a lot more yield through heat stress than you do out of that one frost in 10 yep. years. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's only because you see frost damage in the paddock that people worry about it. Yeah, you can physically see drought stress too a lot of the time. Yeah, little white tips. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, um, so it's certainly one of those things. If you're not at the start of the window and you're not starting with a full moisture profile, you're, you're really running behind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's Australia, but um, <laughs> yeah, and my farm. Uh, back to Clarkson. What else? Yeah, like time. They were always on about time, not having enough time, and, and they, they were moving slow. But he had a two hundred and seventy horsepower tractor, and he's only pulling three meter gear. Yeah, he must have been idle at top gear while cultivating. Like it's certainly logistics would probably be a lot better on wide row spacing. I guess a lot of those farms being developed a long time ago too the infrastructure probably doesn't lend itself to wider machinery yeah gateways even the sheds like he rocked up with the tractor he couldn't get it in the shed to start with yeah which would do my head in having everything that tight like the house was right up against the shed Mm -hmm. but um like i'm sure you can you can build machines that'll fold down to three meters but um I, i just don't know what limitations they've got on length obviously they could get a semi-trailer, like his uh, his gear came in in two semi-trailers. They could get that into the shed. So, yeah, I don't know whether you could build a, you know, a machine that folded down to three metres, but it was eight metres wide, unfolded. You can get over country a lot quicker. I'm sure there's people doing it, but they didn't. And GPS, that was the other one. Yeah, that was like, a big pickup compared to us, like even... Um, smaller operations around here will all run GPS and I guess that's a yeah. controlled traffic thing as much as it is moisture retention and everything else you're having limited passes in the same same wheel tracks you want to try to make sure that everything's pretty precise and I mean that they're, they're the reasons we all tell ourselves we've got it but the real reason is life's a lot easier with it yeah labor's so easy like you can you can put a backpacker like Jeremy Clarkson on there and know that the job's going to be done in straight lines and yeah you're not wasting fuel doing half runs again. And and it's it's so much less stressful on the operator too. It, it, believe it or not, it takes a lot of mental energy to try and keep a line straight. Certainly. 
all day and it, it really exhausts you. So it's yeah. So that that was a big pickup actually. The GPS yeah. side of it, not not having that luxury in that in that circumstance, but yeah, it, it certainly showed when he started to try to race course it and do a couple of rows in between, yeah. and it turned into doing triangles in the paddock and zigzags all across it. And we, which not so bad when he was cultivating, but when he was sowing, mm. because. If you haven't seen the show, they've got this thing where every eighth run, the wheel tracks for the planter will shut down. So you'll have those two units out of action. And that way you've got two bare areas to guide you when you're spraying. So that way you know you're not going to um, miss any country um, as you go through. Although you did pick up on that fungicide miss early in the piece with the the drone going over. Yeah, you can see with some of the panoramic shots with the drone that... Um, the later wheat that they had as their cinematic effects had a lot of areas, especially on the edges of headlands or where rows didn't quite meet up, that rust had definitely took that crop out pretty severely. So, Yeah, Amazon hasn't learnt yet that you, you don't put um, put a drone over your crop. It never no. looks good. No. Well, it's surprisingly, those crops were all thick, being sown at probably 220 kilos. Yeah, I mean, you like, want them to be thick. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe you should try some grazing oats at that rate. I'm a firm believer in the higher plant population, the better result you're going to get out of dry matter yield. And obviously your kilograms of meat or wool produce per yeah. hectare, but I guess you just got to match that to your water use efficiency, how much moisture is in the bucket and how far will that take you? Because yeah, you double your plant population, you're going to use double the amount of water to get there at the same same amount yeah. of time. So you got to make sure you've got a good season going with you. Yeah, mind you, um, yeah. I wish I knew what was going to happen in the season for weather and I'd be a much better farmer. Yeah, crystal ball would certainly make it very handy. Oh, it'd be awesome. What else did you have? Um, Well, he touched on a few of the rules and regulations that they had over there for farming. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like certainly different over here. We're probably one of the least regulated areas compared to that especially the european union and britain and everything else well, i wouldn't say we're the least regulated i'd just say we've got less than the uk yeah, and the yeah, eu so, yeah 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 but um on fertilizer right through to soil management as well yeah yeah that and that really comes up in um later episodes that mm-hmm. soil management stuff and how that links into their subsidies um but yeah they having to take all the hay bales, all the petrol vehicles, anything that could theoretically combust out of the shed before they put fertiliser in it. And um, I'm guessing they're not allowed ammonium nitrate over there. Like, we're not allowed it here. Yeah, I'd assume so. I've I've got no idea. Um, But I sort of assume they're not. And that's really the only one that can go bang proper. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they sort of banned all the others for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah, but other than that, I think they had a very wet start to that year. Um, even just in that episode, they had the highest rainfall on record for a long yeah. time. and Pretty much conditions of what we saw last year. Um, a lot of waterlogged paddocks and a lot of paddocks that if they were sown probably won't germinate much or come up. So it'd be interesting to see how they manage that through the season, whether they re-sow or what, what their plans will be with that. Um, but I guess over there, the dictation with the weather is probably the biggest thing, and that's probably led to the small paddocks and smaller management areas compared to here. Normally, you can get a pretty good run at larger paddocks and larger areas, and the machinery sort of lends itself to it, whereas over there, it's high rainfall, high input, 
I assume high yielding. I guess we'll see once we get it all the way through. But yeah, um, yeah, actually, it does. It does yield pretty well. Yeah. If when we get to the end, if we get to the end, I don't think we're going to get to the end today because it's three thirty and there's another seven hours of of show. Yeah, um, I'm not sitting down for that long. No, no, no. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's that, and um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, and now because it's a podcast, I've got to keep talking to just fill the void while I try and think. Um, oh yeah, the agronomist. Yeah, so the agronomist rocked up in an Aldi, Aldi, in an Aldi, yeah, Aldi, in, in, yeah. in an Aldi like with, station wagon. Yep, with yeah. a sweater vest on and a um tie. And a tie. Yep. Have and you ever worn a tie to work? Oh, once, but it was not really work. No, it was more like a work function later in the evening. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah I've, I've I've never worn a tie to work. Yeah. Um, no. footy shorts fairly fairly standard yeah rolled up sleeves yeah I'm a jeans man I yeah. hate getting stubble scratches all up my legs so I wear a lot of jeans and yeah yeah. Uh, you, you don't like acid burns from chickpeas no I'd rather go through jeans than yeah, yeah. Put up with the acid burns so. yeah yeah it's yeah, yeah you, you make that mistake once a season well I do make that mistake once a season don't plan my day out put shorts on while half asleep and then work out that was a bad idea certainly um, which for those that don't know, if you don't, uh, grow chickpeas, um, chickpeas at about flowering, they get like an acid coating on the leaves. And as you walk through the crop, they will burn your legs. And yeah, if you're wearing jeans all year round, just checking out crops, you only want to be buying the cheap jeans from Target because they, it will burn holes in your jeans. Yeah. It'll rot them. Yeah. After a couple of weeks. So. It's, um, it's fairly impressive. Um, but yeah, great crop. Burns your headers, rots your jeans. Don't really know why we grow it. Yeah, well, I guess when the price was, you know, eight hundred dollars a ton or better, yeah, it that, was that, very lucrative. That, that was an incentive. That was, yeah, that was the incentive, and it sort of stayed in the rotation ever since. With you could afford that new header. Yeah, well, you couldn't. Disease management-wise, too, it's um quite good to have that break crop in there, being a legume crop, fixing a little bit of end, not as much as fave beans or anything else. No. But, Certainly has has its place in the rotation, but yeah, with the price it's been the last twelve months, a lot of it's fallen out. And looking towards this year, where's yeah, which country is going to follow? Which would normally follow chickpeas would be wheat. There's not a lot of areas set aside for that at the moment, so no. it'll be interesting the the choices going into that leading into this year. So yeah, good time to be a fungicide salesman. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, especially after last year's rust year. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, trying to think, what else? Um, I, th- I know we already touched on it, but just the input side of it, purchasing all of your seed in, um, fertilizer and everything else in bulk of bags and not in bulk. Um, what he had, forty-eight ton. No, well they're half-ton half bags, bags yeah. so it was twenty-four ton then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I presume, well, there were two trucks, so I. I think yeah. they said one was seed, one was fur. Yeah. And um, which, if your sowing rate's two hundred and ten kilos a hectare, that sort of makes sense. Although I would have thought the fur's probably a bit light for that sowing rate. But yeah, well, their sowing machine looked like it only had one bin on it. So yeah, yeah so I assume done. they've they've spread it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they spread it pre-plant because you could incorporate it quite easily with those tines. Yeah. Uh, particularly with that that roller behind it, mm. um, or whether they spread it before rain. 
They don't mention what the third is. Yeah, any um, of the fertiliser rates or anything else to achieve the outcome with that yeah. population, you'd assume would be relatively high. Yeah, it, it, it did bust a bag and it looked like urea in the bag. Um, yeah. But they'd have to, like, presumably they've got to put on MAP or DAP or something because if they do grow some big crops, they'd be ripping out the yield, yeah. like ripping out that, that, that nutrition. nutrition. Yeah, you'd be up for phosphorus straight up, if not potassium too, growing those high biomass yeah. crops. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to see their sheep one? He doesn't have cattle, unfortunately. He does now, if you look at their Instagram. Yeah. I know you're more a cattle man. Yeah, but yeah. I certainly am a cattle man, but I've, I've done a lot of sheep work, so I'll be able to appreciate what will be going on there. It's a good laugh. <laughs> it would be. Sheep are still sheep, no matter where they are in the world. And... Yeah, it's always a good day to die if you're a sheep. So. Yes, yeah. yes. Right, I will crack on.